0: This evening, I'd like to talk about faith and fear. Two of the most powerful forces that we meet in our lives, in our relationships, and in our meditation are the forces of faith and fear. Faith is a quality of heart, that allows us to open to trust and to love. Fear often has a very opposite effect, leading us to want to close down, to avoid or to control. Fear has the effect of making us suspicious or mistrustful of feeling separate and apart. Faith holds within it a quality of courage that allows us to take risks in our lives. Whereas the very uh, love of fear, the desire of fear is for safety, which sees unpredictability or uncertainty as being an enemy. Faith is also that quality that allows us to live our lives without guarantees, without proof, and without evidence, whereas we see whenever we are afraid, whenever we are in the midst of fear, how much the desire for certainty is there. Faith is also a place of strength and balance that enables us to embrace willingly the difficult, and the painful. Whereas with fear, there is more of a desire to want to flee from the difficult, to find refuge somewhere else, in some other place or some other space. Faith is also holds within it, I feel, a sense of vision that enables us and inspires us to reach for what we don't know, to extend our horizons beyond that which is familiar to us. Whereas fear, again, often has a very opposite effect of wanting the security, demanding the security, of knowing, of having, and of wanting to find shelter within the boundaries of the familiar. Because of its strength and balance, Faith allows us to stay open and vulnerable, even in the midst of what we do not know. Whereas with fear, mostly, we want to control it. We want to make it end. I think faith is also that quality of heart that actually introduces us to a sense of mystery, of vastness in ourselves in our lives, in our world, that can allow the unfoldment of each moment. Whereas with fear, we are often so desirous of safety that we are also, I feel, deprived of that sense of mystery. One of the qualities of faith is an immense patience, not demanding answers or resolutions, but allowing, allowing for unfoldment. where fear brings with it more of a sense of impatience, the demand to know for endings, for resolutions, for answers. Because of the patience of faith and the trust, it is also a place of great calmness and ease, a refuge for us. It is a refuge for us in the storms of our lives and sometimes in the storms that our path brings to us. We can see when there is fear, there is anything but calmness and ease. When we are afraid, when there is fear, there is a sense that there is no refuge anywhere for us. Instead, we feel threatened or victimized, Now, in a retreat, I feel we do have an intimate introduction and acquaintance with both faith and fear. On one level, they seem to be very contrary companions struggling with each other. But we need to be careful in our understanding of this struggle. And not to make an enemy out of fear. It is not something to be rid of. It is not something to discard or to dismiss. Because it is through fear that we actually discover the power of faith. Through learning how to befriend fear in all its many appearances... And fear appears in the form of doubt, in the form of anxiety, in the form of aversion, in the form of greed, in the form of resistance. Through befriending fear and all its many different appearances, we learn how to rest in a place of great trust and great faith in ourselves and in the moment. Thomas Merton One said that true love and prayer are learned in the hour when love becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. There are different qualities of faith that we will encounter in our lives and in our practice. One quality of faith tends to be a more fragile sense of faith and trust, which is often mixed also with qualities of fear. Sometimes it is a cautious faith that is really born of wanting, sometimes desperately wanting, someone or something to believe or to trust in. You know, we might find ourselves desperately wanting to to trust in someone we have a relationship with or uh, a spiritual relationship with, or we might find ourselves wanting a system we can believe in, you know, a, a kind of tradition or a path that we feel that we can rely upon. Sometimes this faith that is mixed with fear can actually be a faith that is even dangerous to us. Because when faith is mixed with fear, it can actually lead to really depriving us of freedom. A freedom that we might be perhaps willing to surrender because it is a freedom from a fear that feels intolerable. When faith is mixed with fear, it is then that we form relationships of possessiveness or dependency or abusive or oppressive relationships because it is then becomes a faith of clinging and holding that rests upon clinging and holding because of the fear sometimes of being alone, of being alone with ourselves. It is also when faith is mixed with fear that it leads to very destructive guru-disciple relationships and encourages us to become converts uh, in different belief systems. Now, sometimes I feel that actually we need to go. Some of us need to go through this process once or twice in our lives. You know, holding on to this teacher or holding on to this tradition or holding on to this path as somehow being our savior before we actually learn more to rest in ourselves. I know for myself, I went through this convert number a number of times in my own career. You know, when I first started practicing in the Tibetan tradition, I was more Tibetan than the uh, Tibetans you ever met, you know. I mean, I wore Tibetan clothes, I I ate Tibetan food, I learned to speak Tibetan, you know. I said so many mantras that my mala was almost hot all the time. I mean, I was Tibetan in everything but birth. And then, you know, after a while, you know, I I moved over to a a style of Vipassana. I had to buy a new uniform, you know, I had to learn to eat different food, you know. And when I was there, I was proclaiming the righteousness of this, you know, and all the wrong that I did before. You know, once I belonged to the greater vehicle, you know, here I am in the lesser vehicle, you know. These things happen, you know. But when there is this kind of dependency, you know, they become dramas and tragedies and crises in our lives because we feel that we are so dependent upon this for our safety rather than resting upon that faith in ourselves. A belief system sometimes is no more than insecure faith that allows us to say, I am, I have, I know, I possess, and defend those positions with great intensity. This fragile sense of faith, this insecure sense of faith, is sometimes very easy to recognize because of the defensiveness it carries. But being easy to recognize, it doesn't mean that it's easy to let go of. Certainly in that insecure faith, it also asks, you know, all faith asks for a quality of surrender, but insecure faith sometimes asks for a very perverse quality of surrender, a surrender of freedom, of inner authority, of authenticity, in exchange for safety or belief or affirmation. There's another quality of faith which in this tradition we call a validated faith. It is built upon experience. It is built upon our own understanding and our own experience in practice. This validated faith is not only something that takes place in meditation. It also takes place in many other places in our lives. You know, we may have a friend or a partner who has been extraordinarily steadfast for us in our lives through times of difficulty, through times of joy, and we have faith in them. Um, We may have a teacher, you know, who has shown themselves to be accepting, um, empowering, authorizing, and supportive and through that validated faith you know we do ha- we do have a sense of validated faith in them our validated faith may also be in a practice you know you may take into your heart a practice and you cultivate it in your life and you persevere with it. And you do see through your own experience, not necessarily that every moment in that practice is one of great joy and happiness, but that you do see on a deeper level that there is a growing understanding, a great sense of of reliability, a growing sense of connectedness and freedom. We have faith in that practice. It is a faith that is born very much of that which is visible to us, of that which can be known to us. There is also another quality of faith that it tends to be more a kind of an eruption a faith that takes place more in times of crisis or difficulty when it sometimes then seems like a good idea to have faith in something <laughs> you know we never thought of it until you know we sometime we may have met this great tragedy or great pain in our life and it is a quality of faith that is a little bit more akin to hope it is not a validated faith. It is not necessarily a faith in ourselves, but it is more like, a f- like hope. There's a story I'd like to read you. There was an atheist who fell off a cliff and as he tumbled downwards, he caught hold of a small tree. There he hung with rocks a thousand feet below, knowing he wasn't able to hold on much longer. Then an idea came. God, he shouted with all his might. Silence, no one responded. God, he shouted again. If you exist, save me, and I promise I shall believe in you and teach others to believe. Silence again. Then he almost let go in shock as he heard a mighty voice boom across a canyon. That's what they all say when they're in trouble. Laughter No, God, no, he shouted out, more hopeful now. I'm not like the others. I've already begun to believe, having heard your voice. Now all you have to do is save me, and I shall proclaim your name to the ends of the earth. Very well, said the voice, I shall save you. Let go of the branch." Let go of the branch, yelled the distraught man. Do you think I'm crazy? (laughs) Many qualities of faith in our lives are actually an attempt to move away from fear, an attempt to divorce ourselves from fear. And then there is another quality of faith which is very crucial to our well-being and freedom to our lives and to our own practice. And it is a quality of faith which actually makes no attempt to move away from fear. But that part of its very, the nature of this faith is its willingness to, to hold and embrace fear. In Pali, the word for faith is sada. And there isn't actually an English translation of this word because this word actually describes trust, clarity, confidence, and devotion. And this quality of faith or sada is actually the primary foundation of all meditation practice. It is called a treasure. It is a quality of faith, That positively encourages investigation and inquiry. It positively encourages doubt because doubt returns us to ourselves, to question, to explore. It is a quality that always encourages us to balance faith and wisdom, to check out in our own experience, is the teaching true? Is what we hear, is what we see, is it true in our experience? It is really stress wisdom of knowing that we can only take refuge in that which actually liberates us. It is the only place we can actually take refuge in that which actually liberates us. This faith... Is called a seed. Sometimes it's called the seed of wisdom, the seed of confidence, the seed of determination, and the seed of fearlessness. It is also called the seed of an unshakable love. One of the actual one of the characteristics of liberation as described in the very traditional Buddhist culture is an unshakable faith. What is this quality of faith? I'd like to explore this that actually sustains us in our practice in our lives. It is not only a faith in what we can see and know in what is visible to us. It is something actually different than just a validated faith. It is a faith that actually allows us to rest with ease and with gladness in the unknown. This is one of the greatest challenges we will ever meet in meditation or ever meet in our lives, to be able to rest in the midst of an inner or an outer process that is unfolding, that has no signs or marks of familiarity and to rest there with confidence. One of our greatest challenges is learning how to rest with great ease, in openness and stillness, in vulnerability, with a very deep sense of confidence. It is actually faith that brings us to meditation. It is also faith that sustains us in the most dark and uncertain places in our journey. We don't come on retreats because we are perfectly satisfied and content with our world or our perception of it or ourselves. Most people begin a spiritual path or discipline moved by a sense of intuition, of possibility, the possibility of profound peace and compassion, the possibility of the end of separation and conflict. There is a voice within us that yearns and longs for freedom, for communion, for wisdom. It is a powerful voice and it is a voice of faith. Part of that voice and part of that faith is also having faith in ourselves. The possibility of our own awakening the possibility of our own freedom, the possibility of our own deepening. Everything in this teaching affirms that sense of trust and faith. Nowhere in this teaching is it ever said that liberation is reserved for those who have a good karmic portfolio, you know, or for the select few or that liberation is something that happens to other people. Everything in this teaching affirms that liberation and freedom is accessible and available to all those who have the willingness to be awake. Faith is an important part of this journey because there is so much of this path which is actually unknown to us. With everything we do on a retreat, we make the journey from what we know to what we don't know. When you began this retreat, you really couldn't know in any way how this retreat was going to unfold for you. We don't know how the the next day, even the next moment, will unfold for us. We couldn't know when we come here, you know, whether we will... Uh, You know, have a glorious time of hanging out in enlightened bliss or spend our days here, you know, meeting resistances. We don't know what feelings, what demons might arise. When you come on a retreat, you strip yourself of so much knowing, the knowing of familiarity, the knowing of control. And we don't know what will transpire in that. Also, in a retreat, one of the most marvelous things of a retreat, I think, is that we are actually deprived of the great servants of anxiety and fear. And I think the great servants of anxiety and fear lie in the capacity or the ability to measure and evaluate. You know, measuring and evaluating always gives us the capacity to reassure ourselves. I mean, even if we don't meet up to what we think we should be doing, at least we know where we are. Here, you have no way of evaluating anything. There is no way to measure anything. I mean, certainly we do try still, you know, we make a heroic effort to be able to evaluate. We see ourselves measuring and, you know, having these neat labels that says, oh, that was a good sitting, you know, uh, better than the last one, it must mean that I'm getting somewhere, you know, I'm improving, oh, that was a terrible sitting, means I forgot what to do or I forgot, you know, how to do it right. We see ourselves trying to evaluate, but the truth is, that there are very few signposts which are actually reliable in this practice, and this, you know, this is great it may not feel great but it is wonderful you know I think sometimes you know we would feel actually more reassured and more secure you know if we had a little chart on the notice board you know saying on day one aim for two breaths in a row you know and if you've got that you're doing fine you know on day two let's go for four you know and if you've got that you're doing terrific you know And if we could look at this chart and sort of, you know, put ourselves in front of it, you know, it would give tremendous security. It would give enormous security and a feeling of knowing where we are on the path, you know. But here there aren't actually any real signposts. I mean, is anybody's journey like anybody else's? Of course it's not. I mean, what would be a valid measurement? How can you measure the worth of a single sitting? You know, how can you actually measure the worth of a single walking? You can't measure insight. You can't measure the ways in which we might be deepening in generosity or in compassion or in understanding. The sitting that we might be tempted to label as terrible. You know, the sitting that we might be tempted to label as being the worst sitting of our lives, where nothing is happening, that may be the sitting where we are learning in the deepest way about acceptance, about opening, about commitment. That sitting that we are tempted to label as being the good sitting or the delightful sitting may be the sitting in which we are actually most strongly reinforcing clinging and the sense of I and identification. Don't be deceived by any of these measurements. In a way, just allow them to pass through you because truly they can never be any real, true, true measurement of anything at all. Having so little to rely upon and so few signposts to take refuge in, it is faith and trust that allows us and inspires us to stay open and present and to begin to appreciate, actually, the wisdom of not knowing and the gift that lies within it. I think sometimes we really underestimate the power of faith that we have. You know, many of you might come on retreat and feel, I don't, I don't have any faith. You know, I did that when I was a kid in convent schools. Or, you know, I'm not a person of faith. And yet, sometimes I feel absolutely startled by the depth of faith that is actually manifested in your presence here. You know, many times I know you're sitting with incredible difficulties or struggle with pain. And I'm always so amazed to come and sit and see you're still here. I think mean, this is the most miraculous thing, you know. I mean, we don't have any monitors outside the meditation room, you know. <laughs> we don't take registration. We've never been known to drag anyone from their bedroom to the cushion, in't you know? it?) <laughs> And yet you still turn up with a, that's really wonderful. What gets you here? You Nina? Know, it's not just guilt. You know. <laughs> it's not just guilt. There is a quality of faith that brings us back again and again and again, even when we don't recognize it, even when we don't acknowledge how powerful it is. And it brings us back, even though we know it would be so much easier to avoid all this. You know, we could go on vacation, one of, I think one of the great sorrows, one of the great sorrows of the meditative life is that it becomes very difficult to enjoy avoidance any longer. <laughs> this is one of the great sorrows, you know. <laughs> You think, you know, oh, I don't want to go sit. I'm going to go to my room and curl up and take a nap. you know. And there's this nagging voice that says, you know, oh, you know, I, you oughtn't to be here. You know, you could be sitting. You need to stay with this. You're just copying that. It's impossible even to enjoy avoidance anymore. So you may as well not do it because it doesn't work anymore, you know. And it ceases to work. You know, so it's actually a real real gift to yourself actually to let go of it because, you know, at least then you don't have to deal with with that nagging voice any longer. (laughs) Faith returns us again and again, and yet the very faith that returns us again and again to ourselves and to this moment is also a faith that evokes by its very presence the force of fear. Faith brings us to a cushion and fear makes us want to jump off. Fear is the passageway between what we know and what is unknown. And every time we sit, we walk, we make that journey from what we know to what is unknown. And in a way, this is an invitation for fear to come. And fear wears many, many different faces. You know, sometimes in a retreat, it seems that there's such a variety in the emotions and mind states and feelings that we experience. You know, we see there's aversion and resistance and greed and anger and jealousy and lust and dullness. You know, there can be so many different mind states. And yet, in so many of these different states of experience, the very central theme is actually one of fear. What is aversion? It is a fear of the unpleasant, a sense of being threatened by the unpleasant. You know, what is greed? But the fear of not having enough. You know, what is resistance? So often it is the fear of being overwhelmed. You know, what is jealousy? Jealousy but the fear of being somehow lesser. Negativity and anger is often the fear of being attacked or challenged. You know, wanting, craving, the fear of not having enough. You know, fear comes in so many, many different forms. And we really see that fear is the territory of self. Fear is the territory of the I-notion, the resting place of our belief in ourselves, who we believe ourselves to be. In the unknown, there is no resting place, no security for that sense of self. Not knowing, the unknown evokes the presence of the I-notion most strongly Not knowing also evokes for us that sense of mystery of being. It is so curious that that which we most fear, you know, the unknown, be no one, that which we most fear and that which we most long for, freedom and liberation and wisdom, that they lie in exactly the same place. They lie in exactly the same place. You know, sometimes we struggle with not knowing in very recognizable ways, you know, when we meet the difficult or the challenging. We struggle with it by trying to fix it, you know, make it better, make it perfect, Sometimes we meet the unknown and we find ourselves suddenly becoming so busy. You know, we have so many things to do there. Or we use our labels or comparisons or judgments to make, what the, un- to make the unknown familiar to us. Sometimes we try to move away from what we don't know and take refuge in fantasy. And sometimes we also see that actually none of these strategies really work. They don't actually reassure us. They don't actually offer us any true refuge, any true sense of, of safety or trust. And that is sometimes when we find ourselves cultivating many, many small doubts, you know, in ourselves, in our process. You know, we so much want to be in charge of our process. We so much want to be in charge of our meditation and you know have happy endings and you know predictable outcomes. We so much want to be in charge of it and it is so challenging for us to really discover on the first day of a retreat that we're just not in charge at all. You know I mean if you were really in charge would you have experienced what you experienced today? <laughs> a lucky few, yes. Enough. Perhaps many of you not. When we begin in meditation, we begin with the semblance of knowing ourselves. We have a tapestry, a picture of ourselves, you know, that is woven together of our bodies, our minds, our histories, our past, our our feelings, our experiences. This picture or this tapestry that we have ourselves is how we know ourselves. It is what we know of ourselves. What we actually experience in meditation is that this picture or this tapestry of knowing begins to become unglued. Because what really often holds that picture or that sense of knowing together is actually the glue of clinging. Now, one of the very natural and organic effects of being more calm and more attentive and more still is that clinging begins to dissolve. This naturally happens. Clinging begins to dissolve. And so, too, do many of our certainties and many of our ways of our knowing ourselves. Now... Logically, we would think, oh, this is good news. On a gut level, we often don't feel that at all. You know, our picture begins to come, come unglued, and we do our desperate best to glue it all back together again. You know, we think, no, how can I cope with what I don't know? You know, well, who am I if I don't know? You know, if I don't know myself by this and I don't know myself by that, and we desperately want to push the picture back together again. In the absence of clinging, we are introduced to a territory we have maybe never known before, and there is nowhere to hide. There is nowhere to hide. On deeper levels of meditation. This sense of dissolving actually deepens, so that there is really, feels like there's nothing to hold on to anywhere, nothing to rely upon, nothing to take refuge in. And in that deepening, we see very clearly that clinging and holding is actually pain and suffering. But non-clinging also feels like suffering. Because the absence of anything to hold on to can be so unfamiliar, it also feels like suffering. We can arrive at a very crucial point in our practice. And this point does come for all of us. Where there is the dissolution of all that we know, and yet not the immediate arising of that, of anything else. Of what that actually means what that sense of not knowing, what that sense of openness and vastness, what it actually means. And that at that point of, of dissolution and no clear sense of emergence, there is often a tremendous amount of fear. I very rarely meet people who do very long periods of meditation who don't actually come to know fear pretty well. There can be tremendous fear that arises. You know, and we can feel anxiety and resistance to the process. We forget that the whole point of meditation is to disturb us. (laughs) You know, that's what it's for. It's intended to disturb us. You know, not in a negative way of threatening us or, you know, eroding us or undermining us in, in any way. But meditation is intended to disturb us, to disturb our assumptions, to disturb our conclusions, to disturb our images, to disturb our opinions, to lead us to question and to deepen and to cling nowhere. In that place of fear, it is really a place where a very profound faith emerges. The faith of resting, the faith of a remarkable trust in the Dharma, in the nature of life, and in ourselves. A faith which is an incredible refuge, and always available, that lies within that not knowing. A faith that allows that dissolution. Sometimes it means taking a little bit that step of really letting go, what feels like a risk, you know, of going beyond that edge of what always feels just so familiar to us, to discover actually what lies beyond that edge. I'd like to read you another story. It's a Nazruddin story. When Azuddin's house was on fire, so he ran up to his roof for safety. There he was, precariously perched on the roof. When his friends gathered in the street below, holding a stretched-out blanket for him and shouting, Jump, Mullah, jump. Oh, no, I won't, said the Mullah. I know you fellows. If I jump, you'll pull the blanket away just to make a fool of me. Don't be silly, Imola, they cried. This isn't a joke. This is serious. This is your life. Jump. No, says Nasruddin. I don't trust any of you. Lay that blanket on the ground and I'll jump. (laughs) Well, I think for many of us, you know, an ideal path of meditation would be where we actually first find peace, compassion, deep wisdom, balance and equanimity, and then we let go. (laughs) Well, the truth is it doesn't usually work that way. The truth is that here we are asked to let go and to find the peace and the balance and the equanimity. And that involves quite some courage and quite some faith and quite some trust in ourselves. It also involves that part of faith, which is love, to have a passion for being free, to have have a love of being awake, and a passion for liberation, for actually being free in every moment of our lives. And that part of faith is actually incredibly inspiring. It is that part of faith which is devotion, the devotion we've already talked about, the devotion to the moment, the devotion to ourselves, the devotion to attentiveness, the devotion to wholeheartedness. This is all very much an embodiment of faith, an embodiment of a living faith. If we have just two minutes quietly together...